This podcast is a recording from the May 14, 2007 meeting of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. For more information, visit www.knightcommission.org. Fiscal Responsibility, a report on new NCAA financial data and the status of financial recommendations made by the NCAA Presidential Task Force on the future of Division I Intercollegiate Athletics. Panelists include Peter Likens, Todd Petter, Jamie Pollard, and John Walda. At its first public meeting after reconvening in 2003, the Knight Commission focused on the need for more accurate and transparent financial data. During the next few years, the Commission supported the joint efforts of the NCAA and the National Association of College and university business officers to improve the NCAA's financial data collection instrument and create common definitions so that data could be more comparable across institutions. The most recent NCAA report on intercollegiate athletics revenues and expenses contains the data collected with the new definitions and instrument. This new baseline data was presented at the meeting. In 2006, the Commission fully supported the recommendations in the report issued by the NCAA Presidential Task Force on the future of Division I intercollegiate athletics that called for the creation of dashboard indicators and a system to allow for sharing comparative institutional data. The NCAA and NACUBO are moving forward with defining the dashboard indicators that will enable presidents and chancellors to track financial trends and aid in decision making. In this session, the participants and commission discuss these new tools and their potential impact on the management of the athletics enterprise. Panelists and commission members also discussed whether moderation in this highly competitive arena is more likely to be achieved if the new recommendations centered on more accurate and comparable data, greater transparency, and increased education of key decision makers are implemented. Peter Likens is President Emeritus at the University of Arizona, is a member of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. He served as President of the University of Arizona from 1997 to 2006. Likens was a charter member of the NCAA President's Commission and served on the NCAA Division I Board of Directors prior to his retirement. He chaired the NCAA Presidential Task Force on the future of Division I intercollegiate athletics and also led the Fiscal Responsibility Subcommittee's work. Todd Petter has been a member of the NCAA research staff since 1987 and was named Managing Director of Research in 2003. As the Managing Director, he is involved with oversight for all research conducted for the NCAA. Jamie Pollard is in his second year as Director of Athletics at Iowa State University. Prior to Iowa State, Pollard served as Deputy Director of Athletics at the University of Wisconsin. And John Walda was named President and Chief Executive Officer of the National Association of College and University Business Officers, NACUBO, in 2006. Walda served on Fiscal Responsibility Subcommittee of the NCAA Presidential Task Force on the future of Division I Intercollegiate Athletics. I'll be happy to set the stage, Gerald, although it's important to get your tense right. I was the chair of this uh, Fiscal Responsibility Subcommittee, which has done its work, and, and uh, with the other three groups of the task force, one of which Cheryl chaired, uh, we've submitted our report, and it's now in the public domain, and now we're in an implementation stage. 
but it's appropriate, I think, uh, given the um, inhomogeneity of, of the uh, awareness of these issues on the part of uh, members of the Night Commission and, and the media, it's important to put all this in some kind of context because it quickly becomes a technical discussion. The, the first question is, what's the problem? A superficial examination of the economics, finances of intercollegiate athletics uh, persuades you that it's a booming, booming business. And that's a word business that's frequently applied inaccurately to intercollegiate athletics. The revenues are growing dramatically, three times as fast as revenues for universities generally. Uh, expenditures are growing proportionally. They're, they're balanced. The budgets look balanced. If you just uh, superficially examine the, the correspondence of revenues and expenditures. But if you get into a conversation with almost any university president in America, you'll understand that there are stresses within the system that may not be publicly visible, that do not rise to the level of crisis, but are ominous in terms of their implications for the longer term. And so when we first assembled a group of presidents to talk about the future of, of intercollegiate athletics, it was very uh, obvious that while not all institutions and not all presidents uh, were concerned, there was a general air of anxiety about the longer term uh, sustainability of the economic trends in intercollegiate athletics. And so we began looking at the details. The NCAA has done a good job in many other respects of maintaining a fact-based are extremely complex, substantially complicated by the fact that different people measured the, the finances, the revenues and expenditures of their athletic programs in different ways. And so our, our first task was to try to develop some kind of common standards, some common ways of talking about revenues and expenditures in intercollegiate athletics in the belief that if we were all as, as uh, athletic directors and presidents and board chairs better informed about how our athletic department finances fit into the national or the conference or the peer group context, we could make better decisions. We came very quickly to the view that there was no potential for NCAA regulation to control the rate of expenditure growth, because that quickly gets you into concerns with the Sherman antitrust violations, and we were not at all optimistic about getting favorable consideration from the United States Congress. So it was our view that the only strategy to try to avert what we feared would be a long-term uh, crisis in intercollegiate athletic finance was to just better educate decision makers, give managers again, athletic directors, presidents, chancellors, and board chairs, more substantial uh, data on which to base their decisions. And that required differentiation of the categories of expenditures and the categories of revenues. So we began asking ourselves, where's the money coming from and, and where's the money going? And there's a particular importance on the former uh, subject because we look at the sources of the money and we put them in two categories. There are revenues into athletic departments that are generated by that athletics department 
either in ticket sales or television revenues or, or contributions against specifically for athletics. These are generated funds. And then there are funds allocated to athletics by some entity that controls monies that it can use in other ways than athletics. A university budget office, for example, can put money into athletics and put that same money into the English department. Similarly, when, when, student, when student, the general student body, is instructed to pay a fee for athletics, that money is, is um, uh, in some sense, traded off against tuition dollars. So these are allocated dollars. And we looked at these two broad categories, generated dollars and allocated dollars, and realized that the allocated division to, to division, but that in general, the allocated dollars were growing more rapidly than the generated dollars, which means a larger and larger fraction of these rapidly increasing uh, athletic department revenues were being borne by, let's say, the institution, just picking up the slack. And that we regarded as unsustainable because university presidents and chancellors are having a hard time financing the rest of their enterprise, and it's just not uh, going to be possible for them to continue to grow athletics expenditure for, from unrestricted dollars more rapidly than other expenditures in the university. Although it's important to keep in mind the fact that for a typical Division I institution, the athletics budget is maybe 5%, 4% of the total budget of the institution. It's a small fraction of the, to of the total. And so in, in a short-term sense, it can grow more rapidly than other categories of expenditures. But it's not sustainable in the long term. University presidents deal with athletics in, in, in most Division I institutions, 4 or 5% of the budget, and, and 4 or 5% of the student body. But it still becomes a very serious financial problem if, if the growth is uh, constrained by the need to put those dollars into other places. Athletics is not going to bankrupt the school because it's five percent of the budget. And when it gets in, in crisis, what you do is, is you, you play banker, and the institution backs the athletic play. But when there are expenditure commitments, that are long-term commitments, like debt service on facilities is the most dramatic example. They're irreversible commitments. And that does, uh, there's a, quite a, a rush right now to build new $100 million facilities. And insofar as that's get finance, that's not a problem. But insofar as that's debt service, uh, bond issue finance, that we regard as a potentially very serious problem. So we're trying to, to get a common set of definitions, not just in the two categories I've just described of, of generated and allocated dollars for revenues, but in, in detail, working with Makuba to try to, get, try to get common language to talk about the financial data. So everybody then would be reporting to the NCAA in a consistent way. And the NCAA would, of course, not make all these data public, but would try to develop metrics, what people sometimes call dashboard indicators, uh, normalized measures that could be used for management decisions. We went through a substantial effort to try to define the categories of expenditures and revenues, and we in the task force just began the effort of establishing performance metrics, dashboard indicators. I'll let my colleagues take it from here because uh, I've been out of this loop and progress in actually getting consistency of data 
is unfolding, uh, frankly, uh, a little more slowly than the NCAA had hoped. And then getting these, these dashboard indicators is, I think, largely a, a challenge lying yet ahead. Todd, do you want to take over from here then? Thank you, Peter. Thank you, uh, President Likens. Um, what I'd like to do this morning, uh, well, first of all, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today, and, and I'm going to talk a little, in a little more detail about what uh, President Likens has put forward about where we are with uh, financial data collection and reporting uh, as it relates you know, to the NCAs, focusing on Division I specifically, uh, a little bit about these dashboard indicators, uh, as well as uh, giving you um, some of the just, just highlights of what we see in the 0405 fiscal year data. Uh, this will be the first time that we've, we've presented those uh, data publicly. Um, and also, uh, Amy has asked me to talk a little bit about what's going on in the area of student fees and direct institutional support, some of the allocated type revenues that have been spoken about. So let me um, talk again about what we had hoped to accomplish uh, in this uh, process of, of changing the way fundamentally the NCAA collects financial data, and this was done in conjunction with uh, Nakubo along with, with other groups within our organization. And it was hoped that we could consolidate data collection efforts uh, across different groups. There's, there's federal reporting, there's NCA reporting, and those were important. It was also thought very important to bring in an audit process, if you will. We haven't used the term directly audit, but, but that there is a third-party review of these numbers that's required uh, based upon a set of agreed-upon procedures, and that's the first time that the NCAA has gone down that route, and we, we think we'll get better, better information uh, uh, using that sort of audited uh, set of data. Uh, we've changed the, the cycle, the term in which we get the information so we could incorporate uh, audits as well as meet the federal uh, needs. And the, the overall goal is to get more consistency and more transparency of financial reporting. Uh, I think that um, some of this, as, as was talked about in the first uh, panel, we had a lot of excellent information on the academic success, on academics of student athletes that led us to be able to make what we think were informed and appropriate decisions in that realm. Uh, when we turned to the financial realm, while we had information, I think all of us thought it was not nearly as consistent or uh, uh, um, as broad as we would all like to see it. So all of these efforts have been made to get better data for more informed decision making. Um, some of the specific outcomes is we, we think are, are improved uh, uh, reporting of both revenue and expenses. Uh, Dr. Likens talked about the allocated versus generated. I'll look at uh, that a little bit more specifically here in a minute. As well as trying to collect, one of the other big changes was trying to collect the indirect uh, revenues and or expenses that come. And, and th these are things that the institution may have been picking up sort of in kind when it t uh, came to perhaps facilities, maintenance, uh, all kinds of, of infrastructure items that really are uh, um, supporting the athletic department but not on, on those books. So we're trying to collect those as well. We're definitely trying to get more detailed information on compensation issues. I think everybody has talked about the way in which uh, not just coaches but athletic administrators are comp compensated. We were not collecting fully, trying to get more information on that. Uh, we're also including capital expense information. I will say at this point that's the most um, or, or the least well-formed. We've, we've collected some information, and I think in our initial collection what we've learned is that we still don't have the definitional issues ironed out, that there are vast differences 
among institutions, and I think the, the effort in that area now will be go back to the institutions, go back to the CEOs and CFOs, and see if we can't come to something that's more consistent, because the first set of data we, we got, uh, it, it varies wildly. It's really all over the map, and so we're still working on capital expense, but I think we can come to some better conclusion there. What we're saying now about all of these changes that we've made is that we've really started a new day in financial data reporting within the NCA. We have data that goes back to 1969 uh, at the institutional level, but they really, in most ways, will not be comparable with what we have going forward. So we're calling sort of the 2003-04 fiscal year the benchmark year of the baseline data going forward. We now have collected a third year of data. Uh, that have not yet been analyzed, the 0506 year, but that will all be released at the end of the summer sort of as a package, the first three years in trend of this, this new system. There are a few, if you look at individual variables, there are, there are some variables that you can compare across that haven't changed, things like student fees, inst direct institutional support, that kind of thing, and we'll talk about some of those a little bit later. But for the most part, we're saying it really is a different set of data collection, hopefully one that's significantly better than what we've had. Um, I don't want to dwell on the methods with which we use to collect these uh, have changed significantly, and I would say the two most important pieces on this slide are that there is a CEO review now of these data that did not occur in the past, and there is a third-party review that did not, that did not uh, wasn't there in the past, as well as we've gone to an electronic collection system which always reduces error in, in what we do. So um, you, you have in your package lists of all the revenue items that we've now collect in the new, the specific revenue items we collect in the new uh, program, I would call your attention to those that are highlighted as, as the ones that are new and or changed. So you see we're collecting third-party support kinds of issues. These most, most uh, directly affect salary or compensation kinds of things, but there may be other third-party support uh, that we, we collect. Also, the indirect revenues. Yeah. Just on, on uh, define for us third-party. Is it some entity outside the university? It is an entity outside the university. Uh, it could be um, a, a booster club, or it could be uh, the kinds of things where or in, uh, coach may get speaking engagement money, shoe contract. Okay. That would be third-party support. That's not, yes, that, that's it. And we weren't capturing that before. When we were capturing compensation data before, it was specifically what came directly from the university to the employee, whoever that may be. That illustrates the problem. Some shoot contracts are to the university, and then the university pays the coach. Others are, with the university's approval, directly from the company to the coach. And so they're, they're managed differently, and they come out looking differently in the books. You're capturing both. You have to capture both, and they are now capturing both. This, yeah, that, that just started two years ago, that we're, we're capturing both sides of that equation now. Uh, you see other n new items. Um, I think the, the important, on the revenue side, the important distinction we're making is really on the reporting side. Well, the, the collection of the new uh, areas is important, but then we make this distinction on the reporting side where we are going to separate allocated from generated revenues. Uh, and, and you heard Dr. Likens tell you what the difference is essentially, but you see here in the first set of bullets that the four things that comprise allocated revenues are student fees, that go directly to the athletics department, direct and indirect institutional support, support coming from other parts of the institution, direct would be sort of cash 
exchanged from the institution, the general fund, to the athletics department, indirectly the types of things I talked about earlier, and then also at state institutions, for the most part, direct governmental support. So those are pulled out as allocated revenue. The generated revenue are those things like ticket sales or direct contributions to the athletic department, um, uh, it, it rights, television rights, radio rights, and, and any money given from the conference, from the NCAA, those kinds of things we, we're calling generated revenue. And I'll, I'll take a look in a, a little bit of that here in a minute. We're foundations. Pardon me? Foundations. University foundations, sometimes they're separate. Yeah, if, if the, um, it depends on, I suppose, and that may be an institutional call in some senses, um, foundation money that's earmarked directly to go to athletics would be in generated revenue. If the foundation maybe takes some of its general fund uh, and provides it to athletics, not based on what the donor has said, but, but just well, unrestricted. If you had unrestricted uh, endowment and it was given to athletics, then I would assume that would be an allocated. That would be direct institutional support. Yeah. Yeah. Henry, do you have a question? Well, I don't know what Cliff meant by foundation endowment per se. What about, say, an endowment for a coach, uh, endowment for athletic scholarship? Right. I think those would be in, in the alumni contributions for the athletic department, and I think they would be called, at most institutions, called generated revenue. Generated, yeah. <coughs> Okay. On the expense side, again, there's some, some substantive changes in what we're collecting. The, the compensation from third party is an important piece. Uh, that's true of both coaches and then perhaps for support staff or administrative staff as well. Um, severance payments to former coaches have never been collected before, and I, for at some places these can add up very quickly. Uh, and so that's a new, uh, a new line item on the expense side. The direct facilities line we, we haven't, that's fallen into other before spirit groups. Indirect facilities and supports offsets the revenue side. Uh, and so those are the most of the important changes on the expense side. So on both sides we've really tweaked what it is we're trying to collect. Out of this come the dashboard indicators. Yeah, you... there, are there no uh, expenses at all um, attributable to the intercollegiate, I mean intramural? In Emil, at this point, we're talking specifically about inter-collegiate yeah, varsity athletics. Yeah. Tuition is part of the student expenses, right? Uh, yes. Charge athletics yes, tuition at uh, most campuses is the second largest, or, or grants and aid is the second largest expense item for most campuses. Excuse me, I should have asked about club sports on that non... They um, would not be in there. They shouldn't be in here. Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't. A spirit group. Cheerleading kinds of things, yes. You know, revenue that the, the, institute, the athletic department might be putting into the university through scholarship dollars if the revenue goes into the athletic department and the athletic department has to pay the scholarship into the general fund of the institution. That would be an expense to the athletic department. I mean, that's how we would call it. Yeah, they pay that money typically into the institution so the dollars would then go to student athletes. So the institution is just passing the money through. I don't think there are very many instances in which there are contributions of the athletic department to the university for its unrestricted use. No, it would be money into the um, university, into the university's general fund to pay for education. It would be, what I'm thinking of is an instance where the athletic department uh, grants a scholarship and then pays the institution the, the tuition it owes under that scholarship, which does happen in some institutions. And so that would be 
expenditure expense would show up in this analysis that that athletic that the athletic department is paying the institution. Yes, it should. Yes, it should. We talked a bit about the, these dashboard indicators, and this is an important piece that came out of the Presidential Task Force uh, chaired by Dr. Likens. Um, the idea here was to get, get uh, CEOs specifically of institutions uh, comparative data on, on sort of the gross level, on what, what, how their athletics department compares to other important uh, peer groups. Um, very quickly in, in sort of the broad brush kinds of uh, total revenues, how revenues relate to the revenues of the institution, that kind of thing, as well as some non-financial uh, um, uh, variables. And I think that uh, we'll talk a little bit more, some of the other panelists talk a little bit more about these. But uh, what we do, what we plan on is sending these directly to the CEO. There will be comparisons where they can see their own institution as compared to overall Division I within their subdivision, within their conference, comparisons, uh, school type, meaning public-private institutions, there'll be subgroups built uh, that way, uh, looking at institutions of similar size budget in the athletics department, uh, and then additionally, each institution will be able to self-select a peer group that's separate from any of those, as long as it has at least 10 other institutions, so they aren't able to identify any specific uh, numbers. Uh, they can select anybody in the country who they want, and we'll, we'll run aggregate statistics for that set of peer groups as well. Um, in the first year, the hope was to roll this out full-fledged, and as we saw the data, we wanted one more shot for the CEOs to take a look and verify and ensure that what we're trying to do here is accurate and meets their needs. So we're sending it out soon to the, uh, to the CEOs for their review, one more shot at making sure we've got, they agree with the, what they've sent and what we're preparing is, is factual for their institution. Uh, and then I think we'll go sort of more live the next time around. Uh, these indicators include, uh, as you see, institutional descriptors, which, which would include graduation rates and APR rates and that kind of thing, as well as some core financial. And if you look, We've got an example of what a page might look like. These are all going to be sent electronically. There will be no um, uh, paper uh, submission of these. will be sent by email to, to the uh, CEO who can get on a website and take a look at these things. And here you see um, in the lower left-hand corner comparisons, uh, the numbers specifically for the conference subdivision, public versus private. Those are the 25th, 50th, and 75th percentiles of each of those groups. Uh, laid out. The first column is just the institution, that particular institution, so that doesn't change. Uh, we're looking at total athletics revenue, but you can see that they could choose from any number of those. The lists in the upper left-hand side are the dashboards that they might be able to choose from. Then they see both in tabular form and then in graphical form how their specific institution compares within these groups of, of uh, uh, peers on whatever variable it is that they're taking a look at. And again, the idea is a quick and easy way to say, to perhaps show where they're different than their groups or similar to other groups or where they may want to think about issues on their own campus. That's really the impetus for the dashboard indicator. Um, any questions on the dashboards? I'll leave that for now. Can, can I take you yeah. back to Andrea's question? Sure. It certainly has me thinking. Uh, if it is the case that the athletic department is transferring, let's say, a million dollars a year to the general fund of the university to be used for purposes other than athletics. And if the university is simultaneously providing institutional support to athletics, which we know is the normal circumstance, very few exceptions, 
there's a certain logic that says those two figures should be netted hmm. so that it effectively reduces the allocated money. You see what I'm saying? Rather than to see the, the gift from the athletics to the university as an expense and leave the totality of the university's transfers of unrestricted funds to athletics as allocated. Right. No, I, I see what you're saying. I, I, the way I heard the question was, was that that payment was as for tuition, which in that case would be an expense. But if you, I know there are instances where it's a gift to the institution. For tuition of student-athletes, well, then, of course, it's an expense. Right. But if it is, and I don't know how unusual this is. I've never seen it happen, actually. But if there's actually a cash transfer to the general fund from athletics. I've heard of that. That ought to be netted against the, the university's transfer funds. To but but I, I, my question was more, the, the, the general fund, you can, the public institution at least, consists of, of tuition dollars. So if the athletic department is paying those tuition dollars through scholarships, into the general fund of the institution, and that money is not going back to the If they're paying for student-athletes tuition, that's simply an expense. Right, and that's, right. that's, that's the question I was well, asking. I, I misunderstood. If, if they're simply making out of some uh, public relations motivation a cash gift to the general fund of the university to be used for unrestricted purposes, then I think that ought to be netted against the allocation of the university funds to the athletic department. I don't think that is, and uh, I think you're right. And there are instances I know where I've seen publicly in the past where that does happen. But that's certainly something we can we can look into. I agree. Let me just briefly go through what we've seen. Uh, a little bit of information in the new uh, data regarding either again the, the fiscal year ending in 2005. We've broken this out by uh, the, the subdivisions of Division One. So you've got the bowl subdivision, which is the former 1A the championship subdivision, which is the former AA, and the uh, no football, which is the former AAA. And you see across the first line, obviously, the average total revenues across these three groups are vastly different. The, the, the bowl subdivision are about $35.5 million on average, and they range up to uh, uh, almost $100 million. Um, whereas the championship subdivision and the, and the no football are, are down in the nine to ten million dollar range in total revenues, and this includes both allocated and generated, and we'll break those out in a minute. Uh, total expenses, then, you see, are for both um, the bowl and the championship subdivision, when including the allocated revenues, slightly lower than total revenues, uh, and they're very very similar on the AAA side. And we see the net down there in the, in the third row, so. On the books, uh, it looks like the, the bowl subdivision is netting a, uh, has a positive net revenue of about a million bucks on average, forty thousand in the, the bowl championship, uh, the football championship subdivision, and a loss of one hundred and fifteen on the no football. When we break that out by allocated and re uh, allocated and generated, there's a there's a very different story told. Um, you see here the comparison of the two again across the three subdivisions. And in the bowl subdivision, about 80% on average of the revenue is generated revenue. That's the lighter line here. Uh, so they're relying much more heavily on revenue that they make from ticket sales and booster contributions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, very different story in the championship subdivision and no football where two-thirds to three-quarters of their revenues are coming from those allocated sources, student fees, direct institutional support. Uh, for the most part. Could I go back to the uh, previous chart? Sure. Um, 
you do not have in here for in terms of average total revenue, let's say, the range that's involved there, because I have a hunch that what little I know of some of these numbers, that that could very well mean that there's certain of the upper reaches of that revenue are in fact uh, producing what appears to be a million dollar average net revenue. Yeah. Which because it's a it's a highly stochastic overweight in the upper Yeah, range. and there's a slide I think where we we'll show a little bit of that here in just a minute. It would be useful to have it for all three, what those ranges are. What the ranges are? are? Yeah, we can put that on there. Because the average then can be quite misleading. I agree. Okay. Uh, and this may get to that question uh, a little bit. What we've done now is looked at the allocated, re or sorry, the generated revenue versus total expenses. So we've removed the allocated revenue from the revenue side of the equation. And this sort of the bottom line is how many are really making money uh, exclusive of money given from the institution. And you see in the first set of categories there that the, in the football bowl subdivision there are 22 institutions that once you remove the allocated still say that their, their generated revenue exceeds total expenses. And at those 22 institutions the average uh, net uh, positive result is about $3.8 million. Um, so those are the proverbial halves, if you will. And again, there's there's 22 of them. I just want to, I know that uh, publicly Miles has talked about half a dozen institutions that make money. What we looked at in that analysis was over the course of a five-year span, how many had a, a positive net revenue each and every year across that span. Uh, what you're looking at here is just just the, uh, the uh, one year in, in 04, 05, how many institutions there were. We're trying to look at other ways of, of doing sort of a trend analysis because you can imagine an institution that maybe makes a couple million dollars a year and one year in five they dip into that reserve and we have no way of really calculating that and that's really not appropriate to say they, were, they aren't making money in the long run. So we're trying to, to get at some of those issues in different ways, but that's where that half dozen disagrees with, with what I'm showing here, did you? I, I mean, one of the, the difficulties, as you said from the outset, is how people report. So one of the biggest expense items, certainly I think probably for the public as well as the private, is athletic scholarships. But for the public, the tuition's much lower, but if they have an out-of-state student, they're looking at a, obviously a higher tuition for the out-of-state student. So I wonder if you have any idea as to how universities attribute those expenses, and here, here's what I mean. Um, when I came to my university 13 years ago, all athletic scholarships were being attributed as an expense, and I thought the proper way to do that was to discount that expense by the general financial aid in the university, which must be highly variable across universities. I, I hope people understand what I mean here. So that for us, about 25 cents on every tuition dollar goes into financial aid. So we discounted the total financial aid budget for scholarships by that 25% because if you didn't have a student athlete, you'd have had somebody else who on average would have cost 25% in financial aid. So what I'm asking you is if you have any knowledge at all about how universities in the aggregate or by category do that, how they think about financial aid. Do they discount it by what it would have been on their general books if you didn't have a student athlete? 
Um, I think at some individual schools, they certainly do look at it that way. I know of no sort of general aggregate way of doing it, or if there's a methodology that, that has been adopted. Um, I wouldn't raise this if it weren't a big ticket item. It is a big it's ticket item. It's a very item. big ticket item yeah. on your books. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I, uh, well, we haven't gone through any of that exercise, but it, it may be one worth looking into. Is There's a group that's going to follow up on the presidential task force's work, and that may be an agenda item to think about. The you book is the full price of tuition. Right. Right. We put the full, full tuition. So Not discounted by... Not discounted. In the methodology of the NCAA, it's not discounted. There's another consideration that is not incorporated, Todd, correct me please if I'm wrong. In some states, there is an allocation from the government on a student headcount basis or a student enrollment basis. And then if the student athletes are uh, enrolled in substitution for other students who would otherwise be there, there should be no incremental benefit coming from the state because of athletics. But if the student athletes are a population on top of the enrollment that would otherwise be generated, well then the student athletes are generating from the state those dollars. I don't see any mechanism for incorporating that kind of complexity in the data. Was there a question? Uh, yeah, I had a question. Um, regarding the distinction of in-state versus out-of-state out tuition, I know there's a controversy with one university that paid in-state rates for out-of-state athletes. Um, you know, and in, in effect, obviously, that skewed the, the numbers um, with regard to their contribution. Have you guys made any uh, or, or made any preparation to make that distinction? I, I think, I mean, uh, the, the advice that we would give institutions at this point is, is do what, I mean, cost yourself what it is on your books at your campus. And if there's some exception for out-of-state students, I, I think that would that would flow through to, to these reporting. But. So I, I have some concerns with that. In, in many instances, um, the athletic department doesn't actually transfer funds to the general fund to accommodate student tuition. The tuition is essentially waived. Uh, and if it's out of state, you're waiving the out of state rate. If it's in state, you're waiving the in state rate. So, from my perspective, your record should show the tuition corresponding to the resident status. Right. Well, so if it's an out of state football player, then you get costed for that amount. And if it's an in state football player, you get costed for that amount. And I think in 99% of the cases, that's how it would be, but evidently. And I'm not familiar with what you're talking about, but that's something we can certainly look into. Well, I'm not going to go on record because somebody's going to accuse me of being prejudiced against another school. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I think you're discussing then is a legitimate university practice that has little to do with the data that's not as The data that's not as collecting should show for every student athlete the cost that that student would be paying if that individual is paying full tuition price. If, if, if the data that the NCAA gets differentiate between in-state and out-of-state students, then the NCAA just multiplies by the rates. But is, that, but is that what you do? I mean, Todd, what do you do with it? You just simply report what the NCAA, what the school... I mean, what we're doing is not a, a student-by-student 
cost here. We're getting uh, for the athletic boat on a sport by sport cost for your football team. This is how much we spend in, in grand aid. Hey, but doesn't that have an impact on the cost? Of course it does. That's the point that I'm making. Yeah. You know, your numbers may not be as accurate depending upon the reporting. But that, that's the whole gist of this entire exercise is it, you have to separate the business decision from the accounting decision. And what this industry has failed to do over time is address the accounting issue. What should happen in that particular situation is each institution has the right to make the decision if they want to waive in state, out of state or not. But what should be happening on the books is the expenditure should be the total cost, and if they waive the out-of-state, then that should be a revenue on the other side. And what our industry has done is netted everything. And so then you get into this, you can't compare. Well, that difference would be an allocated uh, um, ex uh, revenue, would it not? The difference between in-state and out-of-state, if right. it was waived, then that should just go in as an allocated revenue. Correct. But, but I thought I am concerned now that you're not getting the data that enable you to know the, the true value of the tuition that would have been paid by Austin Matthews. If you can't differentiate between in-state and out-of-state students, I don't know how you get that data in your book. But you should show for every out-of-state student athlete my tuition, out-of-state tuition. Well, to get that, you're going to have to ask the university the right question. <laughs> yeah, you, how many you know, and it may be three questions that you have to ask them. Yeah. It doesn't have to be individualized, but that data has to be possible. And, yeah. And with some indication of how many, out of, how many state schools waive that. For private schools, it's irrelevant, of course. But uh, for state, it may be only a very small number that do that, or it may be very common. Uh, the discussions that occurred this past year may have highlight that. Yeah. <laughs> it also may be common if it's a more successful program than non-successful. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something to look at. I might add that uh, the uh, this is all kind of a work in progress. Uh, right. From Nakubo's perspective, we one of our goals was to give a set of reporting guidelines and definitions for institutions which would take these variables out. But there are so many variables, it's going to take uh, some time before they're all identified. But that, that's one of the continuing roles of my association in partnership with ANCAA to identify these um, anomalies and then uh, to give more direct guidance with regard to reporting requirements. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a good point. We aren't set in stone, and, and this is certainly yeah, I um, my own assumption would be that that most of the schools are accounting for out-of-state students as out-of-state students, but I, I guess that's something we need to follow up on uh, and and learn a lot more about that issue. We certainly can. Um, just uh, I'll try to wrap wrap up here and and uh, get you through the rest of the information that we have. I said at the bottom of this slide shows what happens at those institutions, and this is, again, that sort of di difference between the haves and the have-nots, if you will, but 81% um, of football bowl subdivision schools are, in fact, reporting, uh, are not generating positive revenue once allocated is removed, and you see that, that that's at about $7.8 on average, where the generated revenues are, are uh, below expenses. And you see that for the football championship subdivision and the, the no football division, 
Uh, all the schools fall in that category, and the averages are 7.6 million and 6.7 million, respectively. So, I think that's what we were talking about. We see these these things sort of uh, moving upward fairly rapidly. Uh, somebody was referring to the the places where we're getting and spending our money, and that's what this chart tries to highlight. Um, the three highest revenue categories are very different in the bowl club division than the other two. Ticket sales, contributions, and NCAA and conference distributions lead the way for those for the uh, football subdivision uh, schools and you can see the direct institutional support is almost half of the revenue uh, for both of the other two subdivisions followed by student fees um, on the expense side salaries are consistently the the top uh, salaries the top expense uh, number at about a third across all three subdivisions of their total budget grants and aid are second the proportion of grants of uh, the grants and aid budget is lower in the bowl subdivision but it's still second and then travel is the third highest in the two lower subdivisions, and, and facilities is higher there in, in the bowl subdivision. Uh, excuse me, that, that entry directs facilities maintenance. That would not include debt service on capital? It would not. Do you think you have good data now on that element of your expense? Uh, no, I don't think we do. I think we're still, we're still learning that. Uh, we have a much more detailed capital expense debt, so there used to be a line that we just we'd pull out of operating. It's a much more detailed uh, survey that we're just getting into the data for the first time, and I would say that that we've got that's what I'm trying to say at the beginning we've got some work to do in those in those areas. But it's in a very important area, and it, but it's it's tricky as well, as you know, from an accounting perspective, it's, it's all over the map. Uh, one last piece that that we can talk about briefly is this this issue of how student fees and direct support has been used over time, and I'll just try to look at the summary. You have some charts that give you some detail here. Um, all the student fee, all all subdivisions have seen increases in direct fees uh, or revenue from fees and direct institutional support over the past 12 years, for which we have data. Both, uh, both subdivisions have the highest raw revenue from student fees, uh, but the other two subdivisions are actually higher, even on a raw basis. Uh, in institutional support, and they, they, they've been increasing much more rapidly over time than uh, than the bowl subdivision on the institutional support side. Uh, if you look at it as a percentage of total revenue, though, student fees actually are a bit lower, uh, and this sort of takes into account differences over time. Uh, student fees are a bit lower in, in the subdivisions than they were uh, three years ago, or I'm sorry, 12 years ago across the three subdivisions. 1A or the football bowl subdivision sort of stayed constant over time, and, and the other two have actually dropped in the proportion that they're getting from student fees. Different story on institutional support, uh, where that's increased um, uh, over time. Although again, in, in the football bowl subdivision, those have been fairly constant. Uh, the, the other uh, piece is that there's a very large difference in how publics and privates uh, are treat, or treat these things. The uh, Private institutions tend to have a higher proportion of revenue in the direct institutional support side, whereas student fees are much more likely to be used on the on the public side. Uh, and I think with that, I'll turn it over to uh, John for his talk. Quick question: You have the number, the end for each of the three categories, the total number of institutions for the FSB, FDS, and FCS, and the others. Yeah. Uh, so the football bowl subdivision is 117. I know that one. Off the top, I, I'm not sure if the others are in here directly, but it's about 120 or so in the championship subdivision, 
and 85 to 90 in the uh, in the no no football. Bill, go ahead. Sure. What was that? Can you give an example of schools in the football championship series? Right. The, okay. The bowl the division is the biggest group. They were, used to be called 1A, so that's the big conferences, Pac-10, Big Ten, et cetera. That's in, all, on through the Mid-American Conference. And, and uh, uh, so there's 11 conferences that are at the 1A or bowl subdivision level. Double A, it's the old double A, the football championship subdivision. Um, I think the uh, Big Sky Conference for in Montana, uh, Montana. A lot of them in Texas. Uh, yeah. Louisiana. Um, the Ivy League would be double A's, uh, championship subdivision, even though they don't participate in the championship. Uh, the, the, the Southern Conference is a strong conference in, in that level. And then the triple A's don't play football at the uh, Division One level. Thank you. Bill? Just a, a question on the uh, football bowl series. Uh, you, you looked at the, uh, the student fee part, but have you checked the cost of ticket prices to those same schools for students? I don't have ticket prices for students. We haven't collected that data. We have ticket revenues, and that's oh, certainly yeah, been ticket revenues. Ticket revenues is uh, soaring. Is, is is increasing very rapidly over the last. The piece we, that we can't untie, which is always interesting, is, is there's the ticket revenue, but then now most institutions are demanding a contribution uh, just for the right to purchase tickets. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the students now. If you look at the students, the students team, is a different they've deal. Been, they've been yeah. staying about level, but the student cost of a student ticket charges the students. That would be an interesting line to look we'll at. We'll take a look at We do have at least the revenue they're generating from students separated out from the general public, so we can look at that. It's a good point. Uh, thank you. As, as uh, President Turner mentioned, my involvement with these issues has uh, uh, started in, in under different circumstances than my involvement today. Uh, I was uh, fortunate to serve uh, on Peter's subcommittee on the uh, uh, task force. And uh, at the time, we were solicitous of uh, the National Association of College and University Business Officers for their input on uh, financial guiding, uh, financial reporting guidelines, definitions, and categories of revenue, expense, et cetera. Uh, and uh, they were quite helpful. And then a few years later, I, I became the president of Nakubo, so we must have asked them the, the right questions. Uh, and I'd really just like to kind of fill you in on what uh, Nakubo is doing now to try to bring uh, some uh, improved uh, fiscal responsibility to uh, athletic uh, departments and their reporting of, uh, and decision making based upon uh, financial information. Uh, as has been mentioned, uh, our association was uh, uh, one of the primary resources for the reporting definitions that you have seen. And, and that we've talked about so far. And as I mentioned, this is a, uh, definitely a work in progress. As we see the, uh, the reports coming back and recognize that there are some uh, outlined statistics and some anomalies in the way people report, uh, we'll continue to uh, offer our assistance to the NCAA to clean up uh, the inconsistencies on how we report uh, uh, student tuition. Uh, uh, the big one right now, as has already been mentioned, it has to do with uh, capital expenditures, which are handled so differently uh, amongst the institutions. And, and in order to drill down to a point where we're uh, requiring our institutions to report on a uh, consistent basis, I think it's going to take some patience. It's probably going to take a few years 
to have some uh, reliability on the statistics that are generated. Uh, we are also uh, involved in advising the NCAA and partnering with them, if you will, in developing uh, these uh, dashboard indicators that have been referred to. Again, uh, these are, will be web-based or email-based reports to decision makers on our campuses, uh, which could be just the uh, CEO or it could be a broader range of people depending on who the institution decides to engage in that process. But, uh, we hope to have uh, the first set of dashboard indicators um, uh, out. NCA hopes to have them out in the near future. But uh, again, I, I emphasize that, that the development of dashboard indicators is something that will have to happen incrementally. Uh, I'm sure that the first set uh, will be helpful, but as we go down the road and uh, with the advice of uh, the presidents who receive them, uh, they'll get more helpful and I think more. Uh, informational uh, as time goes on. The categories we're looking at uh, presently um, have to do with uh, athletic expenses as a percent of institutional expenses. And again, that would be all of these that would be compared to uh, a preset uh, a, a group of peers could by size, by conference, by, you know, whatever. or a peer, that, a peer set that is chosen by each institution. Uh, we're also looking at uh, a dashboard indicator on total revenue for athletics as a, uh, as a percentage of the institutional budget and a look at how that changes uh, year to year in the institution. We're looking at one for allocated and generated revenue as a percent of the total athletic uh, revenue budget, as you've already seen one for allocated revenue increase as a percent of the university uh, overall budget. And then we're looking at these uh, uh, different categories of athletic expense to be compared uh, to uh, peers within the group, salary and benefits, uh, game expenses, participation expenses, facilities expenses, administrative support, uh, and debt services. Uh, and others, of course, will develop. We're also working with the NCAA to develop, um, uh, identify and uh, develop and promote best practices in uh, the fiscal management of intercollegiate athletics. And uh, uh, we're just beginning in that process, but uh, we're actually very uh, uh, hopeful that uh, these identification of, identifications of best practices will be uh, great tools to NCAA institutions. They'll be in financial integration. They'll be in uh, uh, partnering with outside entities, multi-year financial commitments uh, with regard to the use of allocated funds and where they come from, uh, changes in the major changes in the scope of athletic programs. We'll look at commercialization and um, actually and, and uh, issues that have to do with institutional reputation uh, as it derives from intercollegiate athletics. Uh, finally, we are uh, developing, uh, in partnership with the NCAA, uh, professional development programs. Uh, if you look at what our association has done traditionally regarding uh, teaching of uh, good financial management on campuses, it's been focused on uh, the business office, it's been focused somewhat on academic units, but uh, very little has been done to develop uh, the capabilities of uh, financial managers within athletic departments, at least 
uh, from our association perspective. Uh, I think there's a recognition at the NCAA and, of course, in other places that um, uh, the teaching of good uh, fiscal management uh, and, the, and teaching how to use these new financial guidelines within athletic departments could uh, uh, be very beneficial. So uh, we have just uh, uh, recently put together a task force which includes uh, NCAA folks, uh, presidents, it includes athletic directors, and includes uh, business officers within athletic departments to develop a curriculum on uh, uh, fiscal management and intercollegiate athletics. And that will uh, soon be launched and uh, available, uh, I suspect, sometime this fall and then going forward. Okay. Jamie? Oh, yes. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate Amy's invitation to come speak to the commission. I've waited for this opportunity for a long time. Um, I worked with Dr. Kerwin, so he knows I'm not afraid to say what I really think. I'm 100% support. This is so long overdue to have accurate and transparent data in the dashboard. Um, you know, some there's a part of me that's a shame on us. It's a little like Title IX. We've had our heads in the sand for a long time, and now there's a perceived big problem, and now we're rushing to make changes. Um, I think I'd bring up a different perspective. As an athletic director with 17 years of experience in the industry, a public accountant, but also somebody that in 1998 started or founded and operated a company, Collegiate Financial Services, that did exactly what we're trying to do here with the limited data we had at the time. And I can tell you, and there's, there's, a, there's presidents or former presidents in this room that their institutions and athletic department use that um, material extensively. There is a huge need for it. One of the feedbacks that I got the most when we started that company was what Dr. Likens mentioned, which is just a perspective. A perspective that, you know, at least certainly at the football bowl subdivision, 4%, not the spending, but for the athletic budget compared to the institution budget, on average historically has been around 4%. Now, if you take the numbers and look and say, you know, if I use my institution or the charts, that you know, if it's 5 to 10 percent that is institutional funding, you know, my particular institution, 0.3 percent of the institution's overall budget is spent on athletics. Not 3 percent, 0.3 percent. And we have to put that in perspective of what we all use athletics for as well. I don't recall, I mean, I've been at Maryland, I've been at Wisconsin, and I've been at Iowa State as far as three public institutions. I don't ever recall parents' weekend or homecoming being on a football weekend when we're on the road. We use athletics to brand our institutions, and I think we have to have a perspective about what we're getting out of that 0.3%. I also think that we also have to take a step back and say, Higher education, and athletics is a great example of a subset of this, at one time was a privately held company. The majority shareholder was the state or the institution. And then we decided we needed to raise equity and raise capital. So we started selling our stock. And in athletics, it was ticket sales and donations. And one day we woke up and we weren't the majority shareholder anymore. 
and we wonder why we're in the position we're in. Because the minority shareholder is still trying to run the entity, but the majority shareholder is the one that's funding the entity. And then you hire an athletic director and put them in charge of the CEO of the company and evaluate them on what the majority shareholder thinks. It's a great position to be in. But the president's no different because that's what's happened in higher education. As states around the country back off their funding of higher education. And so what's happened is we've become a publicly held company. Now what's important about that? Well, any publicly held company has a lot of financial reporting and a lot of restrictions on how they account for things and what they tell those shareholders. And that's where we failed miserably. And so as I sit back and think about this and then reflect on the time for the five years that we ran Collegiate Financial Services, I don't want to see the dashboards held in confidence. The, the decision makers, that's great that we give it to the presidents or to the athletic directors. But who really needs to see this information is the public. Because I don't know a president in the country that's going to be able to stop the train that we've created by allowing the market to dictate what happens in college athletics. The only way it ultimately will change is if the people that are investing in the company, the public, have the data and know what they're really investing in. And on our particular situation at Iowa State, unlike the environment I came from in Wisconsin or Maryland, you know, we are a have-not in the league we're in, yet our fans have the same or more passion for Maybe we need a new athletics director. Maybe we need a new basketball coach. Maybe we need a new football coach. Maybe we need a new president. But they don't have the data before them. And so we tried to, at our institution, to get it out and get it public because that's the only chance we have. We're either going to get them to understand what they have to do if they really want us to be in that realm, or someday we're going to wake up and say, well, then some institutions can't operate in that business environment. But I go back to, at the core of all this is, at, at the, I've been at a, a small private, St. Louis University, and those three publics. And one of the most frustrating things I've seen is that the cultures at those institutions are that we're in higher education and we dabble in business. We're kidding ourselves if we think that's what it is. We're in business, and our business is higher education. And if we lose sight of that or don't think about it that way, it isn't just the athletic department that has issues. It's our, our institutions that have issues. We've got to get our grips around what, what it is we really are because athletics, there's great things that happen on a college campus, incredible things that never, ever find their way to the media. Never, ever find their way to me, the media. But if that little 4% part of the institution does anything, it's all over the place. And so what's happened is we've allowed this financial paradigm you know, to get to a spot where we think there's a crisis in athletics. I don't think there's a crisis, but we do have our challenges. But those challenges are on the campus level too. And it's how we go back at the core of it. It's not the business. It's, it's how we account for it and use, those, use that information to make decisions. Um, Andrea raised a good point. You know, at, at Iowa State, the Board of Regents likes to focus on the fact that 8% of the athletic department's total budget comes from, quote, the institution. Yet the state only gives the institution about 25% of its budget. 
So you could argue that only 2% of our budget comes from the state. The other 6% is coming from the institution. But you know what? 40% of our total budget are direct payments back to the institution in the form of tuition, in the form of room and board, in the form of um, utilities. But that gets lost because we don't account for it that way. And so we need to do a better job as an, as, as an enterprise. And athletics is part of that, and that's why I applaud this. It's long overdue, but it's not going to happen overnight either. You know, as some of the questions that came to Todd, there, there, there aren't some good answers to some of those questions yet. But we have to put a focus to get to those answers and have a uniform accounting for how we track expenditures so that we can answer those questions and we can educate not only the decision makers, but the public who's our majority shareholder. Okay. Anybody from the commission have questions of any of our panelists here? We've had some of the financial items come forward. Uh-huh. Andrea? My only question is, uh, no one's really addressed this, whether or not the current, we believe the current growth rates in revenues and expenditures are sustainable over the long term. Yes, that's, I think every university president has to be concerned about that mm -hmm. because as his arms race continues, you know, can we sustain, can, can it be sustained? Well, I think the answer uh, from my perspective is clearly no. And that seems to me one of the key conclusions from the fiscal task force that uh, uh, studied the issue. It's it's not a currently a crisis, but but it's not a sustainable pattern. I think that's the clear conclusion of this uh, subcommittee at the task force. Whether that's correct or not, of course, no one truly knows. But if you just think logically about the probabilities of all current trends continuing, you, you have to have to conclude that this, uh, um, this burst of expenditure and burst of revenues uh, is not sustainable over time. This burst of, of revenues coming from the institution particularly, the allocated revenues, will simply not continue to grow at three times the rate or, or more than three times the rate of other expenditures in the university. Presidents, boards, faculty just won't tolerate that. Right now, because their fraction is so small, 4% growing to whatever, it's not discernible in its impact on other parts of the institution. But eventually, that, especially as the data becomes generally available, the, the forces to slow down the rate of growth of expenditures uh, in athletics will, will be, I think, irresistible. The question is whether the change will come slowly and gradually in a healthy way or whether there will be examples of athletic departments that are in financial crisis and that have to be bailed out by their parent institutions uh, in, a, in a very costly and, and publicly um, way. We have to hope that we can slow it down without having the, the crises that would be stimulated by financial collapse. Because athletic department can't pay its debt, for example. Then what happens? Well, university picks it up. University has the financial responsibility to pick up that debt. 
And that won't be a popular circumstance if it happens uh, very often. Uh, Mike and then Anita. I'm just <clears throat> particularly, uh, John, you and Jamie, who are more experts in this from a financial standpoint than most of us, you think at the end of the day, given the diversity of these institutions and the variety of sources, are we really going to come up with a model that uh, is going to tell us what's normative and what's not that we can make comparisons from? I mean, I've, I like you. I've been at small, medium, and large institutions, and uh, every time we get into something at the NCAA, I'm amazed at the diversity of the institutions, which in many ways is a reflection of the mosaic of the country. But do you, are we going to get there, or is this something that just really can't be done? I'll start the answer by saying that, that I think you have to first look at financial reporting and transparency from the perspective of the individual institution. One of the, I think the first thing to be accomplished with the tools that we provide is giving presidents and trustees and, and financial officers of institution an internal clear view of trends and revenues and expenses so that the decision-making in the institution can be normalized with other decision-making in the institution about funds and how they're allocated. Uh, so, you know, the, the, I don't think you can look at this process as having a chief goal of, of setting up some norm for institutions of one size or another. I think it really needs to be looked at as an, uh, a mainlining of, of the fiscal side of athletics with the rest of the budgetary decision-making process in the university. I think over time we can get there. We're going to have to get there. I know from when we ran that company, and there were 200 Division I institutions that on an annual basis subscribed to the service. So I know there is certainly a market for it. And the more we can publicize and improve the data, that market will only increase, which will in turn feed people wanting to make the data as comparable as possible. Um, we have an industry that you know, historically has not wanted to share because it's viewed if I let you see what I'm spending, then I'm at a competitive disadvantage. And um, I think we have to get past that. Otherwise, we, we will succumb to the, everybody can't survive that way. I also think when you look at the data, you know, there's a lot of Division I institutions that are blindly entering into financial situations that, they'll, that they should not be involved in. They just flat out should not be involved at that level from a financial standpoint. Now, as an institution, they may make the choice that that's, worthy of how they want to spend their money, but... I may, Mike. It's a two-step process, and I have no doubt that we can take the first step. Despite our diversity, we need to remember that in the business community, more diverse than the educational community, the rules of accounting and reporting are pretty clear. And we can create clear rules of accounting and reporting. Now, whether, given that information, people will make better decisions or not, I think that's very, very difficult to conclude. And it's hard particularly because unlike businesses, athletic departments don't fail financially. They don't declare bankruptcy. They simply turn to their sponsor, the institution, that is bankrolling the enterprise. So 
So you're not going to have instances of athletic departments collapsing as happens in the, in the for-profit business sector. So the dynamic of failure is very different. Whether people will be motivated to, to make more prudent financial decisions or not, I can't say. But right now they cannot make prudent decisions because they don't have good data. Well, I, uh, I want you to succeed. I, I, think, you, I think you know that. Uh, but, but just from the standpoint of Stadia, there's one little, I mean, when, when you, you start thinking about uh, groups that own their own campuses, that own their own public municipalities, uh, uh, leases, I mean, the list, the list uh, there's going to be a lot of asterisks once this report is done, in my opinion. And, and, I, and I guess also, Peter, I'm, I'm not quite as optimistic as you are about control on the revenue or the expense side. I, I mean, I've, I've been sitting here for almost 20 years, and we've all been saying that this can't go on, and yet it goes on. And the uh, and and I'm not convinced with all the new media that we've come close to exhausting the potential revenue given the uh, thirst that appears to be out there in the public uh, for sports. I mean, we you or somebody else like we it. don't have a physics section in the paper every day. We have a sports section, and it uh, it probably. Is where a lot of people go first. If the generated revenues were meeting the expenditures, then your argument uh, stands. But if the allocated revenues are growing faster than the generated revenues, then that makes me wonder if universities will continue to tolerate that growth. Well, and 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 I'm I'm troubled by this growing divide between the athletic slash entertainment culture and the academic culture, and I think sure. that's where one of our greatest vulnerabilities uh, happen to be, and it's why I hope you guys are successful, but I, I do not yet see any cessation in the trend of revenue growth at the upper levels. I just don't yeah. see it. Well, Anita, go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I hope that you are successful because in getting the information, the more information is out there, more people can look at it and say, okay, all six of us were really stupid doing this. We didn't need to do it. And here's what's happened to the one who got out there first, and I'm not going to. I'm going to see if I can find a way to get out of that mess now. Also, I am hopeful that, I mean, if if the the budget is only four percent of the total uh, budget of the spending plan for the year, but sixty percent of that four percent is in coaches' salaries, you have a huge problem if you're spending. I don't know if I have the numbers close to right, but if you're spending for the football well, like 30%, team. 30%, I think. 30%. Well, well all salaries, not just coaches. So. Well, and you're, you've got a lot of people making between eighty and 125000 and you have a small number making over a million. You've got a problem there big time. And students paying more than they could afford and their parents. So at some point, you really have a PR problem, and that may be the problem that comes first before the reality that you cannot spend like that in forever. See, as long as universities are able to say, well, we're paying these enormous salaries, but they're generating the money, it's all generated income, then there's a kind of a, a semblance of justification of those high market-based salaries. But if you have to acknowledge that it's allocated income that is paying these large salaries, then that's a whole lot tougher to justify. Mm -hmm. Cliff. 
One of the frequent uh, comments that is made is that um, it's the revenue sports which are helping to maintain and subsidize the non-revenue sports. Uh, to what extent is your approach going to allow for that kind of a breakdown internally within the individual institutional data? I know that it's uh, part of what's going to what will be in, in the dashboard indicators is a, a proportion that's essentially what called reliance on football and reliance on basketball, which is essentially a division of, of those revenues into the total revenue and expense. I don't, I don't remember which side, but so there's this idea that all right, how how much are you putting or how much of your revenue is coming from football and coming from basketball? So that'll be directly in there. I also know that in the public reports that we do, we break that out by those sports and even to the point of, of just within the sport, what are the revenues allocated and generated? What are the expenses just within that sport? So you can see to, to the extent that a football program, say, at, at the bowl subdivision level, is not only self-sufficient but, but, in fact, sending uh, uh, resources to the rest of the program. But you will be able to determine to what extent there is that in internal subsidization. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I had a, a, two, two questions. One, one is uh, I, I'm a person who believes that the rate of growth of expenditures in the business of the universities, the E&G if I can use that term, education in general, is going to be relatively flat uh, going forward. And so the uh, I think the difficult issue for intercollegiate athletics and for universities is if we have a huge rate of increase in expenditures in athletics, whereas the academic side of the institution is relatively flat, that becomes uh, more and more of, a, 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 of an issue. Will the reporting, I think I heard you say this, but will the reporting compare the rate of growth in E&G versus athletics? Yes, that that is one of the intended uh, dashboard indicators. Terrific. The, the the other issue is, and we it seems to me that it, we're kind of dancing around it, is that uh, part of the thrust of this is well, we need this information so the world can know what's really going on and we can make good decisions. But oh, by the way, we're only going to let presidents have it, and nobody else is going to see it uh, except presidents and and boards of trustees. So, I mean, where are we on this transparency issue? And, you know, quite frankly, it's going to be very difficult for a public university to keep any of this uh, data uh, 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 private. I mean, it will, it will there'll be public information requests that they'll have to respond to. So talk a little bit about uh, what your thinking is on, on the whole transparency side of the equation. Let me begin, although it's a very important and, and complex subject. Uh, uh, the concern of this task force and of its uh, fiscal subcommittee was to focus on improved management decisions. Uh, we understand very well that the private universities who belong to the NCAA uh, will not accept the notion that all the data that we're calling for here becomes public information. So what we have uh, decided to recommend as a task force and as a subdivision of the task force is that a great deal of comprehensive data with common definitions be uh, demanded by the NCAA, but with the assurance that the data that would be publicly disseminated would be uh, the 
these normalized data of the sort that we're calling dashboard indicators. So it's not the NCAA's intention, uh, at least in my mind and, and presently, to share all of this data with the general public. My suspicion is that over time, the dashboard indicators, which are the more telling metrics of fiscal health, will gradually receive broader dissemination. But I do not imagine a time when the private universities that belong to the NCAA would be obliged to divulge data that is now proprietary. Public institutions, of course, don't have any proprietary data, but private institutions do. Yeah. You, you know, one, one thing that, it, it, I don't know if there's a really a, a good parallel or not, but I think that uh, the NCAA and the university community got serious about academic performance when graduation rates started get, getting published. And institutions became embarrassed, and that started a, uh, a, whole, a huge movement towards uh, really trying to address academic performance. I have a feeling that uh, that if we're ever going to get our arms around the the rate of growth of expenditures, it's going to be because, you know, that information is out there and that's going to energize uh, some sort of reform on, on expenditures. But that information can be expressed in, in normalized terms. For example, if it is clear to the public what fraction of the revenues is generated and what fraction is allocated, that's big moves. Yes. The press may think of all this as terribly boring stuff, but if we can finally extract that kind of, of information, that kind of uh, polarization between allocated and generated funds, there's a story there. And if you are on the board of directors, uh, of a board of trustees, a board of regents of a particular university, and you get a sense of what the statistics are like nationally, you're going to turn to your chancellor, your president, and you're going to say, well, what's going on here? And that will produce the kind of pressures for change that you're calling for. Okay. Any other comments? All right. Well, we are to have a group picture, right, Amy? Right. And if we could all go to that now and then do our room checkouts or various things. But uh, before doing so, thank all of you for coming and being a part of this, and we look forward to refinements, uh, Todd, particularly as this goes forward, some interesting things coming out uh, today on nuances and so on. And I uh, appreciate very much, Don, you and Jamie being a part of this with us. We, we appreciate your coming uh, to meet with the commission very much. All right, let's just move straight on down here. This podcast is a recording from the May 14, 2007 meeting of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. For more information, visit www.knightcommission.org.